Ephesians chapter 1, if you turn there in your Bible, we started our study in Ephesians last week. I've entitled this today, Plain Talk on Election, Foreknowledge, and Predestination. There is much false doctrine going out all over the world today. It is spreading. There's a particular false teaching which we very much stand against as a church. We don't try to be mean-spirited about it. But we understand the problems with it. We understand also that it really paints a very ugly caricature of the God of the Bible, which is not a biblical one. So with the spread of false teaching today around the world, and particularly something called Calvinism today, it is important for us to get a true understanding of these words that I mentioned in the title today. Now, I'm going to cover another one, too, called adoption. But that's kind of like the cherry on the Sunday. We'll get to that one later. The ones that are the controversial ones are election, foreknowledge, and predestination. Many people are confused when they come under the false teaching of Calvinism, and rightfully so, because false doctrine oftentimes confuses people. Now, that could be a sidebar quote today. Now, I know there are some that would say today, save people. They would say, well, what does it matter? We can't understand it anyway. There's a lot of people who believe that. Let me say that if God put these words in the Bible, he meant for us to understand them. He does not try deliberately to confuse his children. That doesn't mean we will fully comprehend them as God does, because God is God and we are not. But he does want us to have a working understanding of them because him putting them in the Bible, he's putting them there so that we can benefit from them being there. (laughs) That's why we have the word of God, right? So in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, as we saw last week, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, a saint is one who has been sanctified, set apart by God, made pure and holy. Any believer is a saint. You don't die to become a saint. If you've put your faith in Christ, you are a saint. You notice he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. He didn't say to the saints which are in heaven who have been made saints now. No, these are people who are already saints. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. All who have trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone as their Savior are saved, are saints, and in that they are set apart to God for his purposes. That truth is linked to the very next verses we are covering. As a matter of fact, Ephesians, if you were to look at it in paragraph form, these are large sections that are like perish the thought. They're run-on sentences. But guess what? They're given by God. So I think that's okay. Matter of fact, I know it's okay. All who have trusted in Christ are saved. They're saints and are set apart to God for his purposes. Verse three, here you go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Some would say in the heavenlies, okay? The word places is not really supported by the Greek, although it's an accurate concept, okay? In the heavenlies. You notice in verse three, it says, who hath blessed us. Notice that, hath blessed us. In other words, this is something that has already been done. Do we understand that? 
It's a past tense thing. He has blessed us. It's already been done. If you are saved, you have been blessed by God with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, who is the us referring to? Very important. The saints of verse 1 or believers who has blessed us. Who's the us? It isn't just mankind in general. No, it isn't mankind in general. It's just the saved, just the saints, just the sanctified. We have already been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. See, here's what it's getting at, folks. We were placed in that position when we trusted in Christ as our Savior. The Bible sees the believer as someone who is in Christ. Very important. Someone who is in Christ. This is a present reality based on God's grace in saving us. Here's an example of what I'm getting at. Let my Bible represent Jesus. Let my pen represent me on a slim fast diet for about six years. (laughs) Oh, that would be heaven for me. (laughs) Move on, son. You've only got so much time. Wake up. Here I am when I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am in Christ. This is not a pep talk for Christians. This is an eternal reality when you get saved. And from that moment that you get saved, when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ. And with that comes all the blessings, all the benefits, not only that very moment, but the things we can experience in this life and certainly all that God has in store for us, the goodies for all eternity, as we're going to see when we get to chapter 2. But remember this, if you're saved, you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, all the things that we are going to cover are for you. But only those who are in Christ. In other words, if you are not in Christ yet, these things don't apply to you. Remember I said that as we move on, okay? We're going to get out into the water now. Remember I said that. These things don't apply to you if you're not saved. If you're saved, they apply to you because it's written to those who are in Christ. All right, do we have that? So what are the blessings? Well, many of them are recorded right here in chapter one, but also there is a practical aspect to the blessings that God gives us the moment we get saved. Namely, as children of God, as we walk by faith through this life, as believers, Safe and secure in Christ. You can't ever be lost once you're saved because you're in Christ. He's not going to let you go. By the way, there's no verse in the Bible that says you go in and out of Christ. That's why we believe in once saved, always saved, because that's what the Bible teaches. As the children of God, as we walk by faith, we will experience life in Christ or life in the heavenly realm. Now, this is for all those who are in Christ. Christ. Jesus had a name for it in John chapter 10. He said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. That's salvation, eternal life. And that they might have it more abundantly. The word abundantly, it means overflowing in quantity and quality. So God wants his children to experience the blessings of our eternal life now. 
And those blessings, of course, are available to anyone who will simply, as a believer, walk by faith in the Lord. Now, verse three again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, believers, with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice verse four carefully. I don't know why more people don't pick up on this because it's staring us right in the face. Notice carefully the verse. I'm gonna misread verse four the way most people misread verse four and believe this is what verse four is saying, but it's not. Here's the misreading of verse four. According as he hath chosen us to be in him before the foundation of the world. Does it say that? It does not say to be in him. He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. There's a great deal of confusion and I believe wrong teaching on these issues. Now, Let's look at some important words here in the passage, because remember, words matter. And these words will be our foundation as we go through the book of Ephesians. And so the first one we're going to look at is the word chosen in verse 4. This has to do with election. Don't let that scare you. Chosen, election, it's all related, which is the same root word, by the way. Election has the same root as the word chosen, at least one of the words. It is important to mention that election or choosing is according to foreknowledge, not foreknowledge according to election, as many try to turn it around to say. Those who are Calvinists, they say, well, foreknowledge is according to election. No, election is according to foreknowledge. Prove your point. I will do that. Hold your place right here and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. You see, folks, when we get away from all the false teaching, and we go to the scriptures, there's a lot that gets cleared up in the word of God. I'm not saying that this is a really, really easy thing to understand and all the passages having to do with choosing and this and that, and that they're all just very, very simple concepts. No, they're big concepts. I get that. But God would not have given them to us if he wanted us to live confused or fearful or angry at him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the spirits unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. You notice it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God. They are elected or chosen to be the recipients of the blessings that we find in Christ. And they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now that begs the question, okay, what about foreknowledge? What does all that mean? I am completely baffled today. I wasn't a scholar when I was in English class. Okay, as a matter of fact, I could have been, but I was tuned out. I had enough rebellion in me to where if something didn't appeal to me, I didn't listen. But I can tell you this, I can understand what a word means. And I can look at it at this point in my life and I can look at the word foreknowledge and I can understand there's two words there that are linked together. One is the word for, which means before, and the word knowledge means to know. The Greek term here is prognosko, 
And what does it mean? It means to know something before it happens. Foreknowledge. To know before. Or to before know. If you keep the order right. To know something before it happens. That's what foreknowledge is. Now, you'll read theology books and they'll say, it's more than that. No, it's not. It means what it says and it says what it means. Why is it more than that? We use the word today. I didn't have any foreknowledge of that. What does that mean? Well, you, well, well, what you're saying is you didn't know about this before. But when we come to the Bible, we say, oh, foreknowledge. It's some mysterious thing that we can never understand it. No, friend, it means exactly what it says. The only one who truly has foreknowledge is who? God is the only one. You might say, what about weather forecasters? No. <laughs> they guess. And I don't know how often they're right, but they get paid a lot of money for being wrong a lot of the time. No, what they're doing is they're looking at their computer models and what they think is going to happen, but they can't absolutely tell you what is going to happen. And I get encouraged because when you bring, let's say the weather is bad and you say, we recently had our fall party. I'll tell you what, we were kind of wondering, Lord, how's this going to go? But we had been to the throne of grace over and over and over. The fall party this year was outside here. And that day could have been one miserable day, couldn't it? You know, the percentages of rain, you look on the Weather Channel, it's 40%, 30%, 40%, 50%, 30%. You know, they keep changing it during the day, trying to guess. That's not foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is to know something beforehand. God has foreknowledge. Here's the point. God knows who will believe. And those who will believe have been chosen to receive certain benefits and blessings, okay? That is how those things are linked together. He doesn't make a person believe, but he knows who will believe. How long has he known that? Forever, because there's never been a time when God didn't know everything. This is our God. Weather forecasters can predict something, but they cannot be 100% sure before it happens. God is 100% accurate because he knows all things. Not only that, but he brings about anything he wants to bring about because he's God. Now, putting these things together, you're still in Ephesians chapter one, hopefully. Notice that we were chosen in him, in him, not chosen to be in him, Bible doesn't say that. Before the foundation of the world, and it says this, you notice what it says in verse four? Chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Nowhere in the passage do you see God looking at lost humanity under the curse of sin, under the wrath of God. You don't see anywhere in this passage where God looks at mankind and he says, okay, let's see. Only a small percentage are gonna go to heaven because that's what I've decided. And therefore, everybody's destined for hell, but I will give man a break and I will choose some for heaven. What about the rest? I'm not choosing them. That's Calvinism. That's not Bible. God doesn't do that. God knows who will believe, and he has chosen to provide for those who believe all the blessings that there are in Christ. This is how this works. 
Notice that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Where does it say in that that we have eternal life? It doesn't say that. See, this is for believers. That's why he says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. There is the practical aspect of our Christian life and our sanctification as well as the eternal aspect of it. Verse 5 brings clarity to this. Ephesians 1.5, having predestinated us. Who are the us? The us are the believers. God has predestined, he has predetermined something for believers, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Our third word here is predestination in verse five. It is when, here's what it is. It is when in eternity past, the Lord knew who would believe, he predestined or predetermined beforehand that those who would believe would have all the benefits that the following verses here in Ephesians states, as well as other benefits. And by the way, one of them being eternal life. God knew in eternity past, foreknowledge, who would believe, and he chose and determined that those who would believe would receive all the benefits that there are in being in Christ. That's what this is talking about. Nowhere in the passage is it's God's choosing some to go to heaven and not others. And that's being nice to Calvinists because really you can't get around it that if everybody's going to hell and you choose some to go to heaven, but you don't choose others, then basically what you're saying is, okay, my determination for you is that you'd be lost and suffer forever in hell. Now I've used this before and some people disagree with the percentages. Don't get hung up on the percentages, okay? Personally, this is my personal opinion. I can't prove it. This is just what I think. I hope it's not true. But let's say for an example, 10% of humanity is going to heaven through faith in Christ. 10%. Well, I think it's more than that. Let's not get hung up on the percentages. I'm just illustrating. You've got all these people, all of humanity from all time. Now, right now we've got what? About 7 billion people on this celestial ball on this earth all humanity, and let's say only 10% of them put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Now, if you're a Calvinist, you believe that God chose those 10%. So could God have chosen as many as he wanted? Yes, but that's not how he did it. He gave us a will. But if you're a Calvinist, let's say you say, okay, I agree with that. 10% of humanity is going to be saved. I'm just, this is arbitrary number, 10%. If God chose them to heaven, then what has he chosen for the other 90%? It'd be hell. You can't get around it. Listen, don't dismiss it. Face it. You can't get around it. If everybody's going to hell and God only makes it possible for 10% to go to heaven, then he has decided that he's not going to let the other 90% even have a chance of heaven. That's not the God of the Bible. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he meant it. Everybody in the world, not the elect of the world. Calvinism is an ugly, ugly, ugly theology. As Dr. Hudson used to say, it is a man-made philosophy. Having predestinated us, believers, unto the adoption. Why? Because he chose us in him. Not to be in him, 
in him. And these are all the benefits that would come. So again, predestination. It is when in eternity past the Lord knew who would believe and determined beforehand or predestined that those who would believe would have all the benefits that the following verses in Ephesians state as well as other benefits. Election and foreknowledge have to do with the benefits for believers after they are saved. We have been chosen or elected to certain blessings. Foreknowledge, okay? God knew who would believe and predestined those who would believe to certain benefits and blessings. The plan of salvation is God's idea and he will carry it out. He is sovereign and has set up the future plan for his children. Listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God chooses some human beings to go to heaven and the rest have no chance. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. I wrote a booklet several years ago. It's called The Alls of Salvation. It's a little booklet. I recommend you get it. It explains it very clearly. In the Bible, the word all means all. When God says all, he means all. The word all means 100% of all that is. Listen, if I had a basket of apples here, good time of the year to talk apples, right? If I had a basket of apples here and somebody came along and they took all the apples out of the basket and somebody said, how many of the apples are gone? I say, they're all gone. What does that mean? It means there's none left, right? All means all. All means all. In the Bible, all means all. No secret meanings. Turn with me, hold your place here and look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me give you an example of all. This is straightforward. Now, most people would agree, people who study the Bible, regardless of what side you come down on on this issue, most people would agree, although they don't carry it out, but they agree, that we are always to interpret unclear passages in Scripture by clear ones, not the other way around. You don't find a verse that you're not quite sure, but it seems to be maybe saying this or this. No, what do you do with that? What you do is you take the verses on the issue that are clear, and then you interpret that unclear passage by the ones that are clear, not the other way around. Calvinism takes unclear verses and they interpret the clear ones, and they mess up the meaning of the clear ones, and they end up with a total mess. And I'm sorry, but the truth of it is, then they pretend to be spiritual with the mess that they have. And some of them actually use it to try to intimidate those of you who believe whosoever will may come. I don't think this is difficult, folks, if you just believe simply the word of God. I'm not saying it doesn't stretch your thinking. I'm just saying we can get it. 1 Timothy 2 verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Verse four, who will have all men to be saved. What's God's will for all men? To be saved. Who said so? God did. Doesn't that kind of settle it? The word all means all, 100% of all that is. It's God's will that all people be saved. That means that all people can be saved. Let me give you an, an illustration. Now, we have one who's planning on going on a trip to Israel soon in November. But let's say, for an example, there was room on the flight. And this is, well, use your imagination. Let's say I had the money to buy every one of you a trip to Israel with your whole family. And I said, okay, 
I am providing for you a trip to Israel for free. Free. All you have to do is say yes. I'll give you the tickets. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Providing it for anybody who wanted it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And then I say this. Now, if you decide to go on the trip, there are certain benefits, places, meals, and so forth that have been predetermined that you will experience. You're going to go to Jericho. You're going to go to the Sea of Galilee. You're going to go to the Garden Tomb. You're going to go to Gethsemane. You're going to go to Calvary. You're going to go to the Jewish Quarter. You're going to go to Masada. You're going to go to the Dead Sea. And all these things are part of the tour. And they're all included for those who decide that they want to go on the trip. So I have predetermined certain blessings and experiences that you will go through if you go on the trip. But you have to decide to go on the trip and the trip has been bought and paid for by me. Cost you nothing. How many of you think that's a pretty good deal? Good deal? Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, I'm ready to go. (laughs) My wife and I will be boarding the plane soon. No, we're not going, but... That would be great. Can I tell you, folks, greater than that is eternal life. Greater than that is salvation. This is what God has done. He said, I bought and paid for it through the blood of my son. I'm offering you eternal life as a gift. Now, God's advantage would be this. Now, I know who of you is going to decide to go. That's foreknowledge. And I have chosen and I have predetermined or predestined that those who go on a trip are going to experience certain blessings and benefits of the trip. But it's up to you whether you want to go or not. That is the way God deals with mankind. Look with me to Romans chapter 8. See, it is your decision to go on the trip just like it is your decision whether you're going to get saved or not. Maybe you're here today and you might say, well, I've been confused. I don't know if I'm one of the elect or not, one of the chosen. Well, the idea of being chosen, it's chosen to certain blessings and benefits to those who are in Christ. Remember verse four, chosen in him. These are exclusive benefits to only those who are in Christ. So here's the issue. Would you like to go to heaven? Yes. Jesus Christ has died on the cross, paid for all your sins, and he rose from the grave. All your sins have been paid for. All he's asking you to do is put your faith in him that he did that for you. Would you do that? Yes, okay. The Bible says you have everlasting life. Guess what? Once you're in Christ, once you're saved, now you have put yourself in a position to where you get all the benefits of being a child of God. Wonderful. Romans 8, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. See, God has not only given us a perfect position in Christ, we are glorified in the eyes of God. I'll show you that in just a second. But also God is gonna work in my life as a believer each and every day to draw me into conformity to the image of the Son. That's what Christian growth is all about. That's what the Christian life is all about. That we would grow in godliness and grow in Christ-likeness. But positionally, we will one day be ultimately completely conformed to the image of the Son. We'll be sinless. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now listen, if you're saved, you've been justified, declared righteousness by the blood of Christ. We'll cover that more at the end of the message today. And if you have been, in the eyes of God, in light of eternity, you've already been glorified. Think about that. You notice it doesn't say he also will glorify. To them, he also glorified. If you've been justified in the eyes of God in eternity, you've been glorified. God sees you as like you're in heaven. You have his righteousness. So then how are you going to be lost? You can't be lost. You can't get unglorified. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I know you're here, but I see you down there. Oh, you're being naughty down there. I'm taking away your salvation. Out of here. Is that what God does? No, God doesn't do that. God takes this seriously. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter one. There's another word here. Wasn't in the title, but one that goes beautifully connected to this. Ephesians chapter one. And we see it in verse five. Having predestinated us to many blessings, but one of them is the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now this word adoption, this is an interesting word. The biblical idea of adoption is not the same idea as what we have in our society today, where, you know, there's a child and you say, oh, this child, we want to adopt this child. It's not the same thing. One commentator said this, you do not get into God's family by adoption. You get into his family by regeneration, which is the new birth. Now that's important to understand. Adoption is the act of God by which he gives his born ones, those who have been born again, an adult standing in the family. Now, why does he do this? So that we might immediately begin to claim our inheritance and enjoy our spiritual wealth. A baby cannot legally use this inheritance, according to Galatians 4, 1 through 7, but an adult son can and should. This means that you do not have to wait until you are an old saint before you can claim your riches in Christ. Now, in the Jewish culture, they have something called a bar mitzvah. A child is born into a Jewish family and they are a child. A boy is a child, a Jewish child, until he reaches, I think it's 13 years old. Then he has a bar mitzvah. It's a ceremony. And when a Jewish boy turns 13, he has all the rights and the obligations of an adult. Before that, he is just considered as a child. Not so in the family of God. When we get saved, we get everything. The moment we get saved, folks, everything is ours. All the benefits of being an adult child and the privileges that come with it, it is part of the package. You can't improve on God's package. There's nothing you get later. We get it all. That's why Colossians says you are complete in him. And by the way, why is that? Because we deserve it? No, look, here we are. When you got saved, watch. You are in him. And in Christ is everything. So you got it all. You don't have to wait until a later time to get the benefits. God says you have all the benefits of an adult child, adult son right now. 
this moment. See, adoption points to eternal security, doesn't it? When we become children of God by faith in Christ, we are born into God's family, but we are also adopted and placed as sons with full privileges. That's biblical adoption. We have the maximum position that we can ever have, and we get it the moment we get saved. The moment. Ephesians 6, 1, or excuse me, uh, 1, 6, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 6. Let me read it with verse 5. Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, here's some very important words, and we need to break it down. Here you go. We are accepted in the beloved. The word beloved is masculine singular. It's talking about a person. Well, you know who that person is in the context here. It's Jesus Christ. And we are accepted in him. Here's what it's saying. God accepts us because we are in him. When God looks at us, he sees his son. I'm not saying we're little gods running around. That's not what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying, though. He sees The purity, he sees, this is our standing in Christ, how God sees us in eternity. The righteousness of God. He loves us like he loves his own son. We are accepted. Now, the word accepted is a very interesting word. We just think of, yeah, you can come in. It means more than that. I want you to hold your place here and turn with me to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. The word accepted is used in the Bible many ways. But I want you to understand this, that the word accepted, the root word for the word accepted is the word grace. It's the word grace. And in Luke chapter one, the angel is addressing Mary and the angel says to Mary, the angel came in unto her and said, hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. See where it says highly favored? That's the same word as we find in Ephesians 1, 6, where it says accepted. What are you saying? We are highly favored by God because we are in Christ. Listen, I know we can struggle with this. If you were raised in a home that was lacking love and approval, this may be hard for you to grasp, but this is something that is worth meditating on every single day. You are highly favored by God because you are in his son. Being an object of God's grace is a present truth for the believer. And that's exactly where we're at. We are objects of God's grace. When God looks at me, and let me just put this in human terms, this may not be theological, but when God looks at me, he has a smile on his face. That's my son. I love him like I love Jesus because it's in Christ that he sees me. We need to let that sink in. He has made us recipients of his undeserved favor, unmerited kindness, because we are in Christ. He sees us that way. He has taken us into favor in the beloved one. He has taken me, slim fast Tom, he's taken me into favor in Christ. Now, I had no merit of my own. 
I can't come to him and say, oh, take me into favor, take me into favor. No, sorry, your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But when you trust Christ as Savior, God gives you his righteousness in exchange for your sin. And you are in Christ. And this is how he sees you. Now, how does all this fit together? I hope you're getting it. Hopefully I'm communicating it. Here you go, folks. The Lord in eternity past foreknew who would believe in Christ. This offer has always been open to all mankind. He predetermined and chose that those who would believe would be the recipients of many spiritual blessings, including everlasting life, the adoption into the family of God, the acceptance in Christ, and the forgiveness of sins. He determined to continue to work in our lives as believers to bring our lives into harmony with our position in Christ for all eternity. So God is working in my life. You know where it says in Philippians, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ. He which has a begun good work in you, justification, will perform it, sanctification, till the day of Christ, glorification. Oh yes, in eternity I have been sanctified, set apart, made pure and holy. That's positional sanctification. But there's the Christian life aspect of sanctification where God continues to work in my life to make me more godly, more pure in my walk with him. That's his desire. Here's our position in Christ. The Lord is working in our lives to bring our lives into harmony with our position in Christ. Oh, we're still sinners. We still sin. But this is where he sees us in eternity. And because of that, we are accepted. Why? Because we're in Christ. As believers, we have a privilege to cooperate with him by yielding to him and obeying his word. Do we fail? Yes, we fail. That doesn't change our eternity. But when we fail, and if we as Christians choose a path of sin, listen, we are robbing ourselves of enjoying and experiencing the benefits that he has already given us in Christ. Let's close over in Acts chapter 13. I dare say today there are some of us who have never heard these things today. It's not me. This is what the Bible says. But is it true that God is offering every man, woman, and child who's ever lived and ever will live, is it true that he is offering, and by the way, that includes you, a home in heaven, everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, and the blessings of God? Is it true that God is offering that to everyone? Yes, and he's offering it to you. How can he do that? Why would he do it? Because your sin, my sin, has been taken care of, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is what Jesus Christ did on the cross that makes it possible for us to have eternal life. Look up here. This is you and me. My wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. This is us. We're sinners. God knows who will put their faith in Christ, but he doesn't make it happen. God loves us. He hates our sin. He loves the world. It's God's will that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But see, sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin. You have to be sinless, righteous in God's eyes. Here we are. If we die in this condition, we're going to be lost forever and we will suffer the consequences of our sin. Listen, God doesn't want us to go to hell. And before man was ever created... The Bible says in Revelation, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That'll blow your mind. How can that be? Because God sees eternity. 
Oh, we understand space and time, but as far as space and time goes, Jesus, it was already taken care of because God's plan was going to take place. We're sinners. We cannot save ourselves. Good works won't take away sin, only a death payment. Jesus came, this hand representing him, the sinless son of God, and he went to the cross and he took every sin you've done or ever will do wrong upon himself and he made the payment for that sin so that you don't have to. He did it. He was buried. He rose from the grave. And he says, if you will trust in him that he made the payment for you, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. You become a child of God and you get all the benefits that come with that. God is the one who created the plan. All he's asking you to do is trust in his son as your savior. You can have it. Does he know who's going to believe? He knows who will believe. He doesn't make them, though. He offers it to all. It's up to man to decide. It's up to you to decide. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.